Let's open our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 12. We're going to pick it up where we left off a few weeks back in verse 22. But last time we, we talked about raising family and dedicating, you know, raising our families, dedicating ourselves and our children to the Lord like uh, Samuel was dedicated to the Lord. And, and we, we saw, and this is uh, something I want to reiterate again, that the primary responsibility belongs to who? Who? Oh, we're not sure? Who? Well, yeah, both parents. The father, I think, takes the ultimate responsibility. Uh, the buck stops there ultimately, but both parents, we saw. To be an example, to teach them, to raise them up, to discipline them. And we looked at a lot, of, a lot of scriptures in Deuteronomy, Proverbs, the New Testament. This idea that, you know, we need to take this responsibility very seriously and do what we can, teach them, discipline them, be an example, and live the life before them. As Joshua said, though, it's a choice that we make where he said, choose this day who you will serve, either those gods or the true God, the true and living God, he says, but as for me and my household, what? We will serve the Lord. So he had made that choice. He, had, he gave us that, that example. He made that choice. Joshua, chapter 24. Today we want to continue in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22, and we're going to see that there is no neutral ground, no neutral ground, Look at verse 22 as we look at this passage. It says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. They brought him, and we've looked at Jesus already setting captives free. We, we've seen how he has the power to set the captives free. And, but they brought him this demon-possessed man, and back then, there were, you know, people who, you know, were, were possessed by Satan, that, uh, that demons could live inside of them and control them. And you say, well, that doesn't happen anymore today, and that doesn't happen in our country today. Well, uh, I don't know if you haven't looked around lately, but, but Satan, as, as uh, someone wrote a book called Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth, and he's very active, and he's working in all sorts of things. Um, you can go down to the mall and, and uh, speak to some kind of a... Uh, that girl who reads your palms and all that. I don't know if she's still there. Maybe they chased her out. But anyways, they brought this person to Jesus. Why? Because they knew he could do something. They knew Jesus could help him, that Jesus could heal him, that Jesus could set him free, because that's what Jesus does. The people who brought this man to Jesus knew that, right? We're going to compare that to the Pharisees who... Had a, had a kind of a different attitude, different understanding, and we'll see it was because of the hardness of their own hearts. Satan's goal, in John chapter 10, verse 10, his goal is what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he wants to do, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's still doing the same thing today, to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants to do that. That's what he was doing with this poor person here. He stole his voice. He had no voice. He stole his eyesight. He was wanting to destroy his life. But Jesus in that same verse says that he came, what? That people might have life 
and have it abundantly. Have it to the full. Have it to the full. That's what Jesus came to do, and that's why these people brought this man, this poor man who was suffering so terribly to Jesus and says Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Look at verse 23. It says, all the people were astonished. And they said, could this be the son of David? Well, you know, what does that mean? Could this be the son of David? We've seen that phrase before, and you see it throughout the scripture. And basically what that means is a term for Messiah. The son of David would be Messiah, that, that one who would come and be the answer for all the needs of the human race, and not just the Jewish nation, but for all people that, could this be the, the one that we've been waiting for? I know when I found Jesus, I had been searching and, and looking in all the, uh, the wrong places, and I tried all different kinds of things. But when I found Jesus, there was something that was different, and he was the one. He was the one that I'd been looking for. And he's been faithful since that day, back in 1976, to be the one that I've needed that, that, to, to meet every need, every problem, every situation. He is faithful. Could this maybe be the one that you've been waiting for? Could this be the one, the son of David, that you're looking for truth? Maybe you're here today for the first time and you're saying, I don't... I don't know uh, what these people are talking about, but Jesus came. He was the son of David. It means he came in the line of David. David, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Israel. Could this be the one that you've been looking for, waiting for? I want to tell you today, yes, he is the one. He is the one. And you need to give him a chance to prove himself to you. Verse 24, you would think... It says, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, what would they say? You'd think they would say, this is great. Somebody who is bound up, who can't see, who can't speak, whose life has been uh, terribly uh, you know, controlled by, uh, by the demonic spirit, you'd think they'd say, that's great. Wouldn't you? You'd think that's what they would say, but look what they said. They said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. You have this, this crowd of people saying, could this be the son of David? These Pharisees who are supposed to be the religious you know, leaders of the day who understood the Bible, the Old Testament, understood spiritual things, supposedly. They say, this fellow. The crowd saying, could this be the son of David? They're saying, this fellow. But not only that... They say that it is by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that he drives out demons, this fellow. This is a serious charge, don't you think? When you think about what, he's, what, what they're saying, this really shows where their hearts were at. They were saying that Jesus was using Satan's power to drive out Satan's demons. Well, you know, you and I hear that and go, that doesn't even make sense, right? That, that Satan's fighting against himself. It makes no sense whatsoever. But they had to come up with some way to get around acknowledging him as the son of David. And so they come up with this charge, this uh, reason that he's just, he, the only way he's able to do that, maybe it's a good thing, but the only way that, that, that he's able to do that is because he's in league with Satan and he's using Satan's power to drive out Satan's demons. And cra it's crazy, isn't it? It's insane. 
But this shows, again, where their hearts were at, that, that their hearts had gotten so hard. And our hearts can get so hard sometimes that, that, that we, we start saying things that don't even make sense because of the hardness of our hearts and the unwillingness of our hearts to, to acknowledge Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and, and the work of God in the world, the Holy Spirit. Maybe today, John Corson said that, that some would say the work of the Holy Spirit is, is brainwashing or manipulation or emotionalism or hypnotism, instead of attributing such power to God. Coming up with all these different things, well, you know, that's the church over there, and things that are going on, that's, that's just weird stuff that's going on over there, and maybe even people in churches. I saw an article that said, you know, that it was talking about the pastors of churches who were not born again. And you say, how could that be? How could that even make sense? And then it went on to say that some of them, they were just plain atheists. But they were keeping their jobs because of the security of the paycheck or the pension maybe that they had built up in some denomination over all these years. And so they were keeping their jobs just so they could keep the pension. And yet they would go out there each week and, and supposedly be representing God. That's scary, is it not? Makes no sense. Doesn't add up. Now, I, I, I'm happy to say that not all the Pharisees were like this. You know about the Pharisee named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He was a member of the ruling council, it says, and he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So not all Pharisees, it was really down to a case-by-case, person-by-person basis of, of acknowledging that Jesus, there was something about this man, and, and, and yes, it was, it was the power of God that was working in his life. Nicodemus recognized that. These others, they said, well, this fellow, there's something going on there, yeah, but, but it's, it's really kind of, it's demonic, it's, it's satanic power that's allowing that to happen. Look at verse 25. Something there for you and me as well. Jesus knew their thoughts. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. First of all, Jesus, it says that he knew their thoughts. Whoa. He knew their thoughts. Wow. Does that mean he knows your thoughts and mine? Right now? Whoa. Some of you are, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's Memorial Day weekend. You got a big picnic coming up outside today, and, or you got some thoughts. He, he knows what I'm thinking right now. He knows always what I'm thinking. Oh, boy. You know, we forgot to make the announcement about the cell phones. I forgot to turn mine off. I'm going to turn it off right now, okay? I've ever heard a couple already, and then I was afraid mine, my, you know, one of my sons or somebody would play a joke on me and just call me to see in case I forgot to turn it off. So now if any of your phones ring, you know that I'm going to be right there on you. Just let me answer it. 
Jesus knew their thoughts, but most importantly, not just the stuff we think about all day long, but most importantly, he knows where our hearts are at with him, like kind of, kind of who we are with him. What we're thinking about him, what we believe about him, what we believe about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the power of God working in people's lives. He knows and he understands us and what we think. King David, when he was talking to his son Solomon, he says this, that he told his son, and again this ties in what we talked about last week about a son teaching, a father teaching his son. He told his son, <clears throat> my son Solomon, he says, acknowledge the God of your father, serve him with wholehearted devotion, with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he'll be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. He knows he searches every heart. He understands the motives. He understands what's in our hearts. And in Psalm verse 10, chapter 10, verse 4, it says this, In his pride the wicked does not seek him. In all his thoughts there is no room for God. Now these spiritual leaders, they were supposed to be showing the way to people, but, but really that's kind of what was going on. They were so proud of who they were, of their position, of their authority, of of this place they had, but they had no, they had no room in their, their hearts and their thoughts for God. We don't have to look around the world very far and maybe even into our own hearts and lives from time to time when, 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 our, when our minds are so full of all kinds of stuff, there's not even room for a thought about God. That's why in Hebrews it says to fix your thoughts on Jesus. That's why it says again in chapter 4 of Hebrews that the Word of God is powerful, living and active, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It gets right in there. He knows our thoughts. He knew what they were thinking, and, and look what he said to them, that, that, that statement that we, that we know, we, we quote it sometimes, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city, household, divided against itself will not stand. When we're divided against ourselves, he says, there will be dis dis ruin, disaster, internal strife, infighting, civil war. When our country went through a civil war, we almost were destroyed because we were fighting against ourselves. It just doesn't make any sense. What he's saying is it doesn't make any sense to fight against ourselves. In a marriage, beware. It doesn't make any sense, but we do it anyways. You know, the, the, the Bible says two become one. We become one. We're, we're one in our relationship, our marriage relationship, and, and yet we're fighting and tearing against each other. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you fight against yourself? Some of you, maybe myself included, even within ourselves, we fight against ourselves, right? Right? It doesn't make any sense, but we do it anyways, and that's what they were doing there as well. And so we need to ask and, and pray and, and, and ask God to help us to, 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 to get it together, to be together. There's a little verse in the book of Amos that says this in chapter 3, verse 3, do, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Unless they have agreed to do so, do two walk together? We've got to get together. We've got to get it together and say, listen, we need to agree 
to walk together. The, the last lesson that we do with, with our, our premarital couples is, you know, you need to be in agreement about things like children and, and finances and, and serving God and, and, and fellowship and, the, and, and being a part of a fellowship. You need to be in agreement so that you can walk together. But when we're, we're like this all the time, what's going to happen in the end? Look at verse 26. It says, if Satan drives out Satan... He is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? You know, Satan, he's smarter than that. And, and I would never want to go head to head with Satan other than in the name of Jesus and in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ because he's way smarter than me and he's way smarter than this and he's way smarter than these Pharisees as well who would say that, you know, that's what's, what's going on here. Jesus is using the power of Satan to cast out his own demons. Well, you know, again... They were just using it as an excuse to not uh, humble themselves before Jesus Christ. But Satan is way smarter than that, and, and he's been around a lot longer than that, a lot longer than they had been around, a lot longer than you and I had been around. And, and so, you know, we can't be ignorant of the fact that he's, he's got devices, he's got darts, he's got, you know, things that he arrays against the people of God, against the world, and, and, and trying to bring to this, you know, uh, conclusion. But we know and we trust in Jesus Christ. And we'll see in a minute that Jesus talks about the fact that he is stronger. Look at verse 27. He says, if I... Jesus speaking, drive out demons by Beelzebub or by Satan. By whom do your people drive them out? They had people functioning as exorcists, Jewish exorcists. They would go out and do it. And, and, and Josephus talks about, the historian from that first century talks about the different things they'd go out and do. But they did some kind of weird things. But, but, but even in the book of Acts in chapter 19, it says there were Jews going out to you know, be, serve as exorcists to deliver people from the power of Satan. But they were going out and they were actually using the name of Jesus because they knew there was something about it. There was some spiritual power there. Of course, the demons said, well, you don't really know what you're talking about. And the demons kind of beat them up a little bit and, and chased them out of there. You can read about that, Acts chapter 19. But Jesus said in verse 20, 28, he says, but... If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's not demonic power. It's not satanic power. It's the power of the Spirit of God. He says, can't you see? Can't you recognize? Can't you see that, that, that there's, a, there's a completely different you know, emphasis? One is to, to bind up, to steal, kill, and destroy. The other is to bring life and and to set people free, to set the captives free. Jesus has a whole different you know, uh, program in mind than what Satan has. There's no way they can work together. There's no way they can use one another's power. This is how he was doing it. But again, their hearts, they were, they were fixed against Jesus. Verse 29 says, or, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? And then he can rob his house. Jesus, again, using this analogy, but he's talking about Satan. He's talking about the demonic realm. Satan is a strong man. 
in that analogy. Yes, Satan is strong, but Jesus is stronger. There is no comparison. I hate to, to hear it, you know, and people, and I've heard people say, you know, well, Satan and Jesus, they're kind of like, you know, on the same level and, and, you know, they have the same sort of power. One is just the dark side and one is the light, the, you know, the, the light side and, and, you know, that's not, that's not even close to the truth. The fact is that Jesus is the agent who, who, of creation and Satan is a created being. Jesus is creator. The Father, Son, and Spirit. They created through the Son, the Bible tells us. Satan is a created being. Jesus is creator. That, that doesn't put them on the same level in any way, shape, or form. Luke says, Luke says in the parallel passage, he says, but when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. Someone stronger, there's no co comparison whatsoever. You and I, in and of ourselves, we have no chance to fight this fight against uh, any demonic power. But one of my favorite scriptures, 1 John 4, 4, it's like a 44, that's how I remember it. It says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Because of the power of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God living within us, you and I, we can fight the fight, but don't ever think that you can just go out and do it. And say, I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you, demon. You can't. No, no. In the name of Jesus, I stand against you. By the power of the blood of Jesus, I fight. Don't ever try to do it on your own. The one who's in you, though, is greater than the one who's in the world. Verse 30 says this, He who is not with me is against me. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus, he throws these statements out, and, but, but they have such power. And, and really, this is the, kind of the heart of the passage is that you're either with him or you're not with him. You're either for him or you're against him. You, you are either you know, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're one of his, you belong to him, or you do not. There's no neutral ground. There's no middle ground where you can sort of be and not sort of be. You're either for him or against him. And it is impossible to be neutral. There, there, the, the, the reality of the truth of what Jesus says to you and me is that we must make a decision. But it's also true that, that no decision not making a decision, deciding I'm going to put it off and not make a decision, is a decision what? Against. Is the same as a no decision. Does that make sense? No decision is a decision against. There's no neutral ground. You and I, each one of us, each human being, come to the place where we need to make a decision. That's why Paul is so, is so it's, you know, it's so important to him. He says we need to get out and, and share the gospel with people so they can hear the truth about Jesus. They need to know. How can they decide if they don't know? 
Of course, God knows people's hearts and minds and thoughts, and that's a whole other study. But let's carry on here because there's an important thing coming up here in verse 31. He says, And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Those are some pretty strong words, aren't they? That's what we call the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we call the unpardonable sin that, you know, that can be, never be forgiven. Again, what I said a minute ago that we, we need to make a decision we, there's no neutral ground. We need to go one way or the other. And this you know, would, would kind of help us in what, where we would end up in, this, in relation, relation to this. But before we get to the negative side, let's look at the positive side. This, that, that forgiveness is available for everything else. You know, we just focus on the negative, you know, the negative part of it. But the truth is, in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness for everything else, even stupid things that we do and say. But it made me think about the Garden of Eden, right? God said, I, I've got all of this for you. Look at it all, beautiful trees here, all the different fruits. So there's a one tree. Just, just stay away from that one tree. Which tree? Where is it? <laughs> just stay away from that one tree. There's only one thing that's going to that's lead to death. We need to know what it is. But I don't believe, I don't think it's just one single act. Because sometimes, you know, people, I, I, they, I've heard people say this, and they've said it to me. I, I, I'm, I think I maybe I committed the unpardonable sin. I, I, I think I, I, you know, I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. I think I'm lost. That's it. I can, I, there's no hope for me. I don't think it's just a single act. I don't think it's one little thing that we might have said. But I really think it's, a, it's a, an attitude of, of the heart. It's, a, it's an attitude of, uh, of the depths of our heart and a hardening of the heart that just takes place that we can get so, so hard in rejecting God's Spirit. Chuck Smith said uh, it's a continual rejection of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and attributing His work to the devil. Someone else said this, to defiantly deny Jesus' power and persistently refuse to believe, rejecting the power behind Jesus' work. Persistent. It's a persistence, it's an attitude. It's a continuous thing, this continuous rejection. No, 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 no. Well, someone tells you no long enough. Let's say you're a salesman and you're trying to sell them something. Of course, we're not trying to sell the gospel. The gospel is free. But if you're a salesman, you're trying to sell them, finally, you know, and they say no to you enough times, what are you going to do? Okay. Go somewhere else. Find another customer. It's not that simple, of course, because God's desire, the, the, uh, Peter tells us, is that, that all men would be saved. But is there, this is the question, is there a point of no return where we get to this place where we have so hard in our hearts 
We have said no so many times. We have attributed the power of God's Spirit and the work of the Spirit of God so many times that there, it, we've reached that point of no return and there's, there's no turning back. I believe there is. That's what it appears that Jesus is saying here. Boyce, uh, who was the pastor of... Uh, 10th Presbyterian in, in uh, Philadelphia for so many years, he says these words, your refusal to believe is dangerous. One sin leads to another, and rejection sometimes leads even to an unforgivable rejection. He said these are frightening words, and he says they are intended to be. They're intended to be. We say no enough times. But he says, but they have also been unnecessarily alarming for some people. Where we hear those words and we, we, we begin to fearful. And I, you know, again, like I said, people have said those words to me. But I think the, the greatest thing uh, that I can say to, to someone like that is that if you are worried about it, then you haven't crossed over that line. If you're concerned about it enough to say, you know, what have I done or what haven't I done, then... You're probably okay. But if you're freaking out, maybe you just need to give your heart and life to Jesus right now and completely turn your life around. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to pay attention to and get right. But those are frightening words. And like he said, they're intended to be to continually reject the Spirit of God and even to blaspheme in, in, in terms of saying negative and uh, evil things about the work of the Spirit of God. Is that happening in the world today? I mean, if you, you know, it's scary. It's, and, and with the Internet now, it's like it's proliferating and, and uh, you know, becoming, you know, more and more available to more and more people. Can you and I ever... Um, tell when a person has reached that point? No. We can never tell. Don't ever make a judgment about somebody, well, they, they've passed that point. You know, someone in your family, someone, someone you work with. Don't ever, don't ever try to uh, play the Holy Spirit to understand what, or what they have or have not done. You and I can never see enough to know. So don't ever give up. That's God's deal, right? That's God's situation. Let's finish the passage. It says here in verse 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. Again, there's this, there's this essential difference within the tree itself, within the person, himself or herself. We're either changed by the Spirit of God living within us or we're not. The tree is recognized by its fruit. Verse 34, he said, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, and the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. 
For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. He's talking to these people and the, who had said these words about him. He says, you better be careful. You, you better watch out. Your words have just shown where your hearts are at. Essential, essential nature within you. What's inside comes out. Let me just close by reading Romans chapter 10. Very familiar verses to us. He says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. The heart and the mouth. No neutral ground. We're going to either be for him or against him. He knows each one of us. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows what's inside of us. Let's pray together, shall we? <clears throat> our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given to us, but we thank you more for the fact that you love us. You gave your Son, Jesus, to come to this earth to live a perfect life, to die as a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. That he was buried and that he rose from the dead, defeating death, and that we now have an opportunity to have eternal life by living and giving our lives to him and living for him. We thank you for that. We thank you that, that uh, you have given us this opportunity and that, that we, uh, many in this room, have said yes to your son, Jesus Christ. Some are still on the fence, thinking, wondering, is he the one? Is he the son of David, the one that, that would answer the needs of the human race, of my own heart? Father God, speak to each and every heart this morning. You know the thoughts of our hearts. You know the motives. You know the intents. You know who we are. I pray that you would fire us up, Lord, to live for you in these days, these very scary days, these last days, that we might live totally for you. Father, help us in that. It's not easy. I pray for the marriages and the families and the homes and our church. God, that, that you would uh, help us to be on the same page and to walk together, to agree to do so. Heal, Lord, by your spirit. You came to give life and life abundantly. Show us, Lord, and open our eyes to those places where the enemy has come in and is trying to steal, to kill, and destroy that we might stand against him in the armor that you've given us. And by the power of the name of Jesus, pull down those strongholds and take those thoughts captive, those thoughts that are not pleasing to you. Take those thoughts captive by the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of his blood, by faith in who he is, the, the, the creator the one who is greater, who is in us, greater than he who is in the world. Help us, Lord, we pray. Hear our cries, Lord. Meet us 
You know where we are. You know who we are. Meet us here, we pray. This morning here. In Jesus' name. Amen.